Welcome to the Juicebox Podcast. My name is Matthew. And I'm Briley. And in this series of conversations, we'll be sitting down with the builders and community members of the Juicebox ecosystem. Today, we'll be talking with Jacopo from Slice. Slice is a decentralized commerce protocol that lets you sell anything on chain and dynamically split payments between different addresses. In this episode, we talk about Jacopo's background and how Slice got started, the synergy between Juicebox and Slice, as well as a glimpse into how Blunt Finance is disrupting the VC funding model. We hope you enjoy this week's show. All right. Welcome, Jacopo. Thank you for joining us today. How's it going? Thank you for having me. All good, all good. It feels fitting to be chatting with another Crypto Coven right now, since it's the season of the witch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So why don't we get started? Can you tell us a bit about your background and what you were doing before you got into crypto? Sure. So I'm an industrial engineer, actually a materials engineer. And I think it was around 2016 or 2017 that I got into the crypto space. At the time, I was not really much into development. I ended up being a software developer afterwards, but I was mostly focused about what the blockchain was disrupting and what the technology itself started from the infamous Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. After that, I kind of ended up going into a rabbit hole and learned development and became a, a developer. After some year and experimenting and doing stuff in and off crypto in 2020 or 21, I started working on Slice, which is my major main work that I've done in this space. Can you tell us about the type of work that you were doing as a materials engineer and then how you started getting involved in software engineering? They seem very different, but maybe there's a lot of similarities that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're totally different. My academic career was that of a material engineer focused in nanotechnology. I've done some research work. My main one has been in London. But after finishing university, I decided to go for the startup career instead of the research academic career. I started a lot of experiments with startups and projects and several side projects that I launched on product hunts and the likes. It wasn't actually after that long that I started getting into crypto. What happened is that a bunch of friends that wanted to do something related to blockchain. And I coincidentally was studying blockchain for myself because I was curious about it. And so I ended up helping them more on the business side than on the technical side. That eventually ended up in us writing a book about blockchain and how it can be used in business. This is an Italian book, so it's only for Italian audiences, but it's been a while. I'm just curious, what was it about the Bitcoin white paper that you found so interesting? Like, what was it about it that pulled you in? I guess it's a bit hard to describe the feeling that you have. I think many of us in this space went through it. The first time that you read the Bitcoin paper, especially if you weren't in the Web3 and crypto space at first, how it conveys the kind of revolutionary technology that you get out of reading the white paper. And it's hard to put into words, at least for me. But it inspired me a lot to get into this space. Totally. I remember when I was first getting into crypto, it wasn't white papers, but it was mostly Chris Dixon's writing and the way he wrote about Web3 that really pulled me in and motivated me to read more and more as I learn more about the space. For people listening who might not be familiar, what is Slice? 
Okay, so Slice is the centralized commerce protocol. It allows to buy and sell anything fully on chain and also split payments dynamically between multiple addresses. So it's kind of both a payments infrastructure and a platform for decentralized storefronts. If you think about Web2 services, it's basically a mix between Stripe and Shopify, but which is also composable with the entire Ethereum ecosystem. So for example, you could create a decentralized store that fully lives on chain that sells NFTs, tickets, merchandise, services, literally anything. And then customers can just go onto the web page and buy this product with a familiar AutoCard experience in the case of Slice, where purchases can happen in either Ether or any ERC20 currency. And then finally, we have this splits mechanic that is able to handle complex splitting that can be used on the store side to handle the split logic. And where did this idea come from? So the slice idea actually comes from an experiment I was doing two years ago. I was trying to figure out if there was a way to come up with that NFT that could have an objective value instead of a subjective one, which is quite different from what I just told you about. But eventually this idea led me to this concept of using NFTs. In the case of Slice, these are semi-fungible tokens that basically represent a slice of the earnings of a project that is related to them. So what happened with Slice is that each project that you create on it, each decentralized store, the ownership is subdivided in a number of slices, and each of them will give you a part of the ownership of the project and its earnings. So it started as a way to explore how this could be and then eventually evolved into a decentralized store protocol. Interesting. So you mentioned coming to an objective value of an NFT, like finding a way to do that. Why were you interested in that? That's a very narrow interest in NFTs. I would say it's also maybe not the dominant interest of most people working in the NFT space. So why were you interested in finding this objective value for an NFT? And Because it's a very interesting entryway into a commerce protocol like Slice. Yeah, so first of all, I mostly see NFTs not as picture of monkeys, but more as a technical tool that can be used for a lot of different needs. So again, for example, in Juicebox, an NFT represents the ownership of a project. On different other protocols, depending on how the NFT is used and what rights are attached to it, you can build custom experience on top of them. So first of all, this is how I mostly see NFTs. And so I guess it was around the time where NFTs were booming, where I saw all this wild valuation that this NFT was having due to demand and that was in this space. I just came up with a question like, how would you make it so that an NFT would have some base value, some corresponding value that is grounded into something? And so that when the buyer actually makes an offer, it's not purely depending on demand and offer, but it has something that is based upon. And this was the main question that I asked myself. And the answer was, if the NFT that you're buying gives you a part of the earnings of a project, you can say that, for example, this project gives you one Ethereum per year for every slice. I'm simplifying it a lot. Well, you as a buyer, you could say, okay, I'm not going to pay 100 Ether for this slice if I know it's going to give you one Ether per year. It would be too high. So you have a base for evaluating the project. Of course, there are a lot of other aspects that come into play, such as the prospective growth the project has, and basically all the mechanisms that come into place when you, for example, when you evaluate a company. But 
yeah, I thought it was the thing that made most sense to link an NFT with some sort of objective value of another project. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of a Juicebox project. The treasury sort of backs up the token in the sense that if a project has overflow configured, you can always redeem your tokens against the treasury. And so there's almost like a backing. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of that, but obviously in a different context. Okay, so we're just going to try and break down slice a bit. So slicer versus a slice. So a slicer is the contract that is going to set up a split so that it would route payments to a set of addresses, right? And then slices. Can you just dive into a little bit of these two things and then we can get into super owners and super owner slices? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, you got it right. So the slicer is the actual smart contract that whenever it receives Ether or any ERC-20, will split them to its owners. And the owners of the slicer are those who own the slices which are the semi-fungible tokens that are basically NFTs that you can freely transfer between addresses. And for example, you could put on sale on OpenSea. Yes, there are two different concepts. The Slicer is the smart contract and is also the decentralized store itself. So when you put products on sale on a Slicer, the Slicer is acting as the decentralized store as well. Right. And then whatever revenue it makes from selling those products, it gets split between its owners. And the owners, again, are those who own the slices. And what is the role of super owners and super owner slices? Yeah, so in Slice, we have this concept of super owners that you can set up when you create a slicer, where you can say how many slices one needs to own in order to be able to have privileged access to it. And this privileged access right now basically means two things. One is to change the metadata of the slicer, so its name, its image, and how it appears on chain. And the second one is to add new products on sale. So you can imagine it may have sense that you may need to have more than 50% of the ownership of a slicer, for example, to add a product on sales on the slicer. In that case, there can only be one super owner at a time, which has full control over a slicer. Not full control, but it can put things on sale and can manage it however it wants. However, if wanted, one could say you would need to hold 10% of the slices to be a super owner or 1%. And that means there can be 100 super owners at the same time for a slicer, where each one can add new products on the same store. And then the earnings will get split again to the owners of the slicer. It's basically a governance system that is embedded into Slice that is used for managing products and metadata. So we've been talking a lot about products and commerce running on-chain. So I'm wondering, how do you deal with on-chain transactions being linked to physical goods? Or at least in some cases, they could be linked to physical goods. It seems like this is like a fundamental problem with commerce happening on-chain is how do we link a digital asset to a physical one? So I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. So with Slice, the main idea that we wanted to do with Slice is that theoretically you could put anything on sale on Slice. And that works because there are a bunch of tools that Slice provides that allows you to sell physical assets. But at its core, when you put something on sale as a Slicer owner, you're using the blockchain as a way to store inventory of your product and also a bunch of things that get managed during the, when products are purchased and sold. So about the sale of physical assets, with Slice, there is nothing that prevents you from selling a physical or a digital asset, it all boils down to what a product 
that you sell on Slice represents. So if you sell a product and you say, this product is a t-shirt, that means that you're saying that everyone who buys that product will be entitled to a t-shirt whenever they buy it. And so the process basically becomes split into two parts. There is the purchase part that happens on Slice where the buyer can purchase the product. And this could be, again, a t-shirt, a subscription, an NFT, all of them together, anything. And this is the purchase process. Then at that point, the buyer will have stored on chain that he has purchased one unit of that specific product. And then he can go on to the seller and say, look, I've purchased the product. Now I can claim whatever you owe to me, which is a merchandise, a physical item. So the step that we're building right now is this additional building block that allows merchants to basically use Lice as a way to interact with the buyer, to, for example, collect delivery information and streamline this process with other existing tools that are already being used in the commerce ecosystem to handle the delivery and the fulfillment of the actual physical order. But as far as the purchase is concerned, you can basically already sell anything on Slice. One thing that I should mention, for example, is that I stumbled upon this really cool project, which is called Deformed, which is launched a few days ago, which is basically like a Google form for decentralized, where you need to sign in with an Ethereum wallet. And this is something that we have done on Slice already. We called it Slice Redeem at that time, where, for example, a seller could give a form to the buyer to fill in where he could put delivery information for a physical product, for example, or the branding that they want to be used for a specific merchandise. When the form is filled, the merchant actually has all the information needed to fulfill the order. This product, for example, would tie in very well with Slice and would allow to make this process of selling physical items a bit easier. Right. So basically, they would have this NFT that they purchased on Slice in their wallet, and then they'd be able to fill out a form which would check their wallet for a balance of that NFT, and then they would be able to enter all the details for fulfillment, and that would be the flow for going about that. Yes, but there is a note, you mentioned the NFT, but by default, products are not NFTs. So when you purchase a product on Slice, that does not give you an NFT in your wallet. What that does, it basically changes the state on the blockchain that says that your address, the buyer's address, has purchased a unit of a certain product. But it does not give you the NFT automatically. The seller, if he wants to, he can choose to mint you an NFT. But that's a different story. I mean, it could be used that way as well. What have been a few of your favorite use cases for Slice so far? There are a bunch of projects that I think are quite significant already in the Slice ecosystem. One of them is Villa Penelope. It's a house located in Italy where I actually was able to help making it work. We're basically you could use Slice to purchase a day of stay into that house. And of course, based on the time of the year that you go to, the price that you would have to pay would change. So it was a way to try and replicate the fundamentals of Airbnb, but in Web3 and in a way that it was fully unchained. And yeah, theoretically it works in the sense that with the fact that products on Slice can represent anything, you could say that a product give you the right to stay in a place for one day or one week or one month. And this was basically the concept that we tried here and that it actually works. What I personally would say is that for this kind of things, the generalized interface that we built on Slice is not really, of course, optimized to handle all possible use cases. But the fact that Slice is fully on-chain, its protocol, makes it possible to imagine a future where you could have 
a website that acts as a Web3 Airbnb where you can browse different properties the same way as you do with the Airbnbs with the same exact experience even. But when you fulfill the orders, what actually happens is that you're purchasing products on Slice. And that is, of course, the complexities of this process can be hidden from the user experience. And this is something that I personally look forward to. I think there's a lot of cool experimentation that can be done by leveraging the concept of Slice being adaptable to all these different kind of use cases. It's really exciting for me as a builder of the protocol to imagine all this kind of stuff. So maybe one potential vision for the future of Slice is that builders would actually make alternative front ends using Slice for the contracts. Oh, absolutely. And that that would enable them to build these different experiences, whether that's an Airbnb or selling goods in a store. So that's kind of the vision for where you could head from here. Absolutely. I think this should be the vision for all on-chain protocols because you don't care where the front end lives. At the end, you're just interacting with the contracts on chain. So even with the specific slicer, if you have a special project that you need, you don't want to use the slice frontend, for example, you could build your own website and have your own products on sale and just interact with the slice contracts, but from your own website. And you could do that no matter what slicer it is, what product it is. And in this case, we're talking about a whole platform that could create this kind of different products that could behave in a sort of different way. What do you think is the value of a decentralized store or put another way, why should we make purchases on chain? What do you think this unlocks for both sellers and buyers? There are multiple ways to see it. So one advantage, for example, is that when you purchase something on chain, you can leverage all the advantages that the blockchain gives you which is the security or the finality of the transactions and also the pseudo-anonymity of the purchase in the sense that you don't need to disclose yourself when you're purchasing something because you're actually buying with your Ethereum address. But at the end of the day, the thing that I see most promising is that we are all, especially I mean, us in the Web3 space, we're all using Web3 wallets more and more over time as we interact with protocols, but we are still doing that just in the Web3 space so the thing that is most promising from my perspective is that we're all using crypto wallets for interacting with things on chain. But imagine if you could go into your store, in your life store, make the grocery, but instead of paying with your credit card, you could actually pay with your Ether wallet. And you didn't have to pay, for example, with Ether, but the store owner could decide which currency he wants to accept. And this could be Ether or any ERC-20 currency. And you as a buyer could choose which currency to pay with and do that simply with a one-click transactions. Imagine adding products while you do the grocery on your cart and then you go and check out that when you go out. The fact that you could do this fully on chain, it's something that I personally feel it's the future that we're headed to. And Slice is nothing else than a tool that allows anyone to sell things on chain and buy them on the other side in the most easy way possible. Can you tell us about some of the challenges with building Slice? It feels like in a lot of ways, building a really powerful tool like this, because the possibilities are so endless, it can be difficult to explain. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it's a little bit like Juicebox in that once you get it, the possibilities are just so open. But because it's such a fundamental infrastructure, it can be difficult because users have to come to the protocol and bring their own ideas and their own applications and maybe even build their own front end. 
Do you have any thoughts on what some of the challenges are that you're facing with building Slice and getting it to be more widely adopted? Yeah, there's been and there are so many challenges when it comes to building a protocol like this. So starting from the fact that the idea of the protocol itself did not exist before Slice in the sense that, of course, people have been talking about Web3 Amazon for a while. This is not just Web3 Amazon, it's, it's a whole different concept. So the challenge in designing the system and making all of the different pieces work was in retrospect, I would say gigantic in the sense that if you would ask me now, if I would do it again, I would probably say no, thinking of the amount of effort that was required to get to this point. Thinking from both at the writing the protocol itself and writing the front end, not just writing, it's just coming up with a way that makes sense. So again, if I think the amount of effort that I put into this, I would probably not do it again, honestly. <laughs> but the actual challenge that we're facing now is that this is such a new concept, a new way to view things that it's hard to make people understand what you're actually building and what it can be used for. So there's a lot of effort that I think it needs to be put in general in the Web3 space. And I can see this firsthand on Slice into facilitating the user experience and the explaining of what a protocol does and why it does it. And it's most of the time not easy at all. And this is the area that we're focusing right now. We have a few things that are coming up in the near future. And I can mention two of them that I'm really, really excited about that will allow us to finally make it possible for people to truly understand what you could use Slice for a few applications that basically are only possible using something like Slice. One of them is something that we're calling Merge to Earn, which is it's not related to the product side of Slice, but more on the way it handles splitting of earnings. And so it will be a system that is based on Slice. Actually, it's an automation for GitHub that will allow developers and contributors in general to be rewarded with a part of the project that they're developing for in a totally permissionless way and without leaving GitHub. So this is something that I'm not going to talk too much about this because we're still finalizing things and you're probably going to see some of it soon. Okay, so basically it would reward contributors on GitHub so they contribute to a code base and then they get a stake in the project, almost like equity in return for their contributions. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, very similarly. So in this case, the slicer would represent the GitHub project. And when you make a contribution on the project on GitHub, you could specify how many slices you want to receive. And so over time, the ownership of the project gets split between the new contributors. And then all the donation or all the earnings that the project does could be redirected just straight to the slicer. And the slicer would pay the contributors that have worked up to that point. Very cool. And you also mentioned a second one that you were going to tell us about. The second thing is actually a feature that we're about to release that is already supported on the protocol side, but it will land finally on the interface, which is the most requested feature that we had, which is related to the ability to support ERC-20 as a currency, both for products and for slicers. So, for example, merchants could decide to sell their products in multiple currencies both Ether and any ERC-20 currency at the same time. So let me make an example for Juicebox. Juicebox could say, I could sell a t-shirt and anyone could buy it using JBX. And this can be a very powerful tool, for example, in DAOs, to give utility to their tokens. 
and allow users to leverage it and easily build something based on the token. Wow. Okay. And speaking of DAOs, Slice, the protocol is governed by Slice DAO with the SLX governance token. Could you tell us what are some of the motivations behind governing Slice as a DAO versus a private company? Yeah, so basically it was a choice that I made when initially the side project was grown enough. And when I faced that choice, I thought it made sense to see Slice in the long term as a public good that can be governed by the DAO owners. So one aspect that is crucial to how Slice operates is that the user of the protocol ends up receiving SLX tokens as they use Slicers, specifically when they withdraw Ether from their Slicers. And what that means is that the ownership of the protocol in the long term will be given in the big part to their users. So DAO make this extremely easy. Actually, they not just make it easy, they make it programmable. So what Juicebox allows us to do is to program easily a way so that users will end up being able to govern what the choices of the protocol will be over time. And as the protocol grows, the percentage that goes to user will increase over time. So can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to start a Juicebox project for Slice? So am I to understand that the protocol fee structure where there's this 2.5% fee to withdraw funds from a Slicer, is that actually going into the Slice Juicebox project, which then mints the tokens for that user? Is that how users are becoming the DAO members? Is that the mechanism or is it done differently? Precisely. It's exactly as you say. So when someone withdraws, what happens is that on the contract, we are calling the same function that someone would call when they are contributing to a Juicebox project. So it would actually appear on the front end of our Slice project. And then in exchange, they receive the SLX token, which is used as a governance token in our DAO. Okay, so there's a lot of synergy between Slice and Juicebox. Like these two protocols work together really nicely. I'm curious how you found Juicebox in the first place. What was your entry point to coming into the Juicebox ecosystem? That's actually a good question. Someone came across our Discord and mentioned Juicebox to us. And then after a while, Django came over and basically he onboarded us. He showed us the protocol and we walked about a few possibilities. And then that's how I knew Juicebox. But I definitely agree that there are so many synergies between the two protocols. And what I like the most about building a Web3 is that you have this unlimited possibility of composing between protocols. So Slice is composing on Juicebox, but on the other hand, Juicebox can compose on Slice and they both can compose onto so many other protocols that are there. So the interconnection that is between protocols blurs the line between competition and collaboration in the Web3 ecosystem. And this is something that most of us builders are actually excited about. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm most excited about with Slice is the idea of builders working on top of the protocol and building alternative front ends and that really opening up the possibilities for what you can do with the Slice contracts. Like the Slicer is the primitive, but there's so much that can be built on top of that. And speaking of the synergy between Slice and Juicebox, you're working on a project called Blunt Finance with Django, which is a tool to manage term sheets and fundraising, but out in the open in a transparent way. So venture capital, but make it transparent. <laughs> and it's funny because Briley and I are actually watching Silicon Valley right now. I don't know if you're familiar, but 
Among other things, it's about the pitfalls of VC culture and everything happening behind the scenes while a startup is trying to bootstrap itself and get started and hopefully try to make a product along the way while dealing with all these other political and uh, financial concerns. So I'm wondering, what were your motivations to start working on Blunt Finance and why is it important for fundraising like this to happen out in the open in a transparent way? Yeah, so one of the things that Juicebox, I think, changed is that it levels the field in the fundraising space. So it doesn't matter if you're a VC or common folk. You can just go into a Juicebox project and donate and get the same terms that everyone gets. And this is something that is truly, truly powerful, especially for the emerging DAO ecosystem. Now, when it comes to blunt finance, we recognize that there were some mechanisms that Juicebox could leverage about Slice. And again, Slice could leverage about Juicebox. In other words, it would be possible to build some sort of different kind of fundraise by leveraging the feature that both protocols have in common and building something custom around it. So in this case, while raising on Juicebox give you tokens back. So when you give something, you know how many tokens you're going to receive. The ownership with respect to the total that you own will get diluted over time as new contributors come in. And this is not the way that usually fundraising work in the normal system. When you fundraise, you basically give out percentage of the equity of your company. So specifically in the case of Slice, this problem actually came up when I was looking at the different ways that I could fundraise on Slice. Now, since Slice is a DAO and since our treasury is on Juicebox, I wanted for the fundraise to happen on Juicebox no matter what, because otherwise you would have a lot of complexities coming over and also it just feels the way it should be. However, if you look at the current emission of the token, but in general, this is valid for any token, when someone contributes a substantial amount, which is the amount that you would expect from VC, what happens is that there is a lot of emission that happened and it could be possible, depending on the parameters that you have set on Juicebox, that they could get almost 100% of the ownership of all of the tokens. Or in the case of Slice, we have a 50% reserved rate. So if they contribute much more than the current amount that is held into Treasury, they would end up having 50% of the total token supply. In most cases, this is not desirable for any party because the DAO does not want to give 50% out for any kind of amount, basically. On the other hand, the VC also would not want that because there is no advantage in showing that you own a massive percentage of ownership because it diminishes the incentives of everyone. Basically, it disaligns incentives. Right. However, there is a way that Juicebox would allow to set up a different kind of mechanic that is not based on the amount of tokens that you receive straight away, but is based on the amount of token that you will receive in the future. And that is the reserved rate. So to sum up, the concept behind Blunt Finance is that we plan to use the reserved rate as a mechanic to align incentives of the investor that may want to have not a certain amount of tokens, but a certain amount of percentage of the total supply. And that percentage will not get diluted over time. Actually, what happens is that it will asymptotically tend to the percentage that is given to him during the blunt round. And now this changes the incentives. This basically allows you to set up a different kind of round where you're not fundraising in exchange of tokens, but you're fundraising in exchange for a share of future emissions of the tokens. Right. And can you tell us about how the Slice and G-Spot contracts are used to make this happen? Yes. 
a round on blunt finance is a juice box round. So when you create a round on blunt, it will also appear on the juice box frontend. The difference is that when you contribute to it, you don't receive an ERC20 token in exchange or the tickets that juice box prints, but instead you're going to receive the slices of a slicer. Then when you create the round, you just need to decide how much of the reserved rate you want to assign to that specific slicer. And when the round gets completed, the ownership of the slicer will be distributed among the different people who contributed to the project. So once the round ends, what happens is that you will have the slicer address that will be on the reserved rate of your Juicebox project. And whenever tokens are minted from any of the future rounds that are not being carried on blunt finance anymore, what happens is part of those tokens will end up being received by the slicer who will split them to those who participated in the blunt round according to the amount that they contributed. At the same time, I should mention that slices are always transferable. So the owners of these slices can at any time decide to transfer them or to sell them in the open market, for example, on OpenSea. And this basically tokenizes the reserve rate of Juicebox in a way. And yeah, this is basically how it works. How do you think Blunt Finance is solving some of the problems or weaknesses with traditional VC funding models? I think it definitely brings transparency into how this is managed because both Juicebox and Slice are as much transparent as it gets. And at the same time, it brings flexible yet well-defined rules that adheres to those that are already used in the startup ecosystem, but in the Web3 space and with tokens. The ability to share a part of the future emission of the tokens is something that is intrinsically very powerful and that can be used in very cool ways, I think. So slices are ERC-1155s, right? Yes. So one of the things that could happen with this is that I could contribute to a round and what I'm receiving in return are slices. So I would actually be able to trade my stake really easily, right? In other words, that share, which is represented by my contribution, would be then exchangeable in a much more flexible way than it would otherwise, right? Yep, absolutely. But I will add that, for example, when raising for crypto protocols, it's common that the tokens that investors receive are usually vested. So it is possible to leverage what Slice Protocol provides to lock the ability to receive the tokens for the slicer or to transfer the slices themselves for a predefined amount of time. You could participate to a round, but you cannot receive the tokens before one year, or you cannot transfer these licenses themselves before six months, for example. You have these rules that kind of ties in well with how everyone is already used to think of. Okay, so Blunt Finance would also be able to handle vesting. It would also be able yep. to have all of those mechanics built into it as well. Okay, cool. Can you give us the juice of what is coming next for Blend Finance or Slice or if there's other projects that you're working on? Sure, sure, sure. Well, Blend Finance is already in the final, I mean, all of them are already in the final stages of development, so they're probably going to come out almost all together. But Blend Finance can already see the front end that we will have and we're finalizing the contracts to make it all work. So you can expect to see it out in the wild quite soon. And Slice is one of the first projects that will definitely use Blunt Finance at first. 
Then on the slice side, we have this mercenary mechanic that we're releasing soon and also the support for ERC20. And this will come along a bunch of projects that will release some new slices and product that will leverage these new features. So really looking forward to that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And if listeners want to participate in SliceDAO or make their own slicer, where should they go? How should they get started? Well, they should definitely start from the website on slice.so. Then we have most of our communication happens on Twitter and on Discord. You can find all our links on our Twitter page on slice double underscore so. And definitely, if you like the project and you want to contribute to it, just head on our Juicebox treasury on juicebox.money slash pizza slice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacopo, for taking the time to sit down with us and discuss Slice and finance. We've really enjoyed going down this rabbit hole together. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Juicebox podcast. You can find us online at juicebox.money and on Twitter at juiceboxeth. Join the conversation at discord.gg slash juicebox. The Juicebox podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Views expressed by guests and the hosts do not reflect the views of Juicebox DAO or the Juicebox podcast. The Juicebox podcast is not investment advice or a solicitation to make any financial decisions. Projects on the Juicebox protocol are not vetted by Juicebox DAO. Each project on the Juicebox protocol is responsible for its own crowdfunding parameters. The tokenomics of one project may differ from other projects on the protocol. Do not purchase JBX tokens, other cryptocurrencies, or make contributions to projects in anticipation of financial returns. Please Please do do your your own research. research.